Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, one chapter at a time. And, you know, that's a very good New Year's resolution if you, uh, you know, it's, I guess we're like eight days in now. But if you didn't think of one and you really want to do one, well, this is a good one right here. Let's get through the whole thing. We're finishing off the book of Isaiah for everyone who was with us in 2019. These last two chapters here, answering the prayer, answering the question that was being asked there in chapter 64. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? And in this chapter, chapter 65 of Isaiah, he answers the question. God speaks and he says, I will not keep silent, but I will repay. And so there's this language here that, I mean, it can it can sound kind of scary here, but these last two chapters, there is hope being offered, even in the midst of the dire circumstances. So that's what we have to look forward to today. A lot of connections going on in these last two chapters to everything else in the book. It's tying together all the loose threads. It really works well as a conclusion. And I really am looking forward to tomorrow, the final chapter of Isaiah. And joining us today, we've got one of our regular guests. We've got Pastor John Shank in the studio, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Good morning. Welcome back, brother. Happy 2020. Welcome. Good to uh, good to be here. Um, blessing always and, and happy new year to you. I, I pray that you're Christmas nativity celebrations and uh, and looking forward to 2020 with uh, rejoicing in the Lord always. Yes, thank you. Yeah, they were indeed joyful. Uh, my my daughter Ellie uh, was very fond of this whole Christmas season of just kind of getting into a chant where she would just say Navidad, Navidad, <laughs> and she <laughs> she was she was really pumped up, and it was a, it was a, it was a beautiful celebration. I hope yours was as well. It was great. Yeah, it was wonderful. We have um, we have a school and and uh, preschool and all those things, so they have all their different programs, and it was wonderful. They the kids did a wonderful job proclaiming the birth of their savior, and it was it was really nice. It was really nice. Yeah, excellent. Very good. Well, so now here we are. Uh, yesterday, um, or rather, uh, two days ago, marking the epiphany of our Lord, and now in the season of epiphany and uh yeah this is this is very interesting i was just thinking about that you know we on sunday we actually just had one of these chapters from isaiah we had isaiah 60 right um and that's back from uh i remember we were, we were talking about it before that you know we would have probably if we were in charge of editing isaiah terrible thought but if we had been we would have been like and chapter 62 seems like a great conclusion <laughs> right you know and they shall be called the holy people the redeemed of the lord and you shall be called sought out, so you're not forsaken, right? Because it sounds like a real, like, you know, uh, uplifting conclusion that those chapters from chapter 60 to chapter 62 are like that. They're they're full of light and promise. Uh, that's kind of what we read uh, for um, for Epiphany, for Isaiah chapter 60, if, if we observed, um, like our church, we observed it on Sunday. Arise, shine, for your light has come. So, uh, you know, very, very nice and uplifting. But today we've got a uh, Isaiah chapter sixty-five, which is <laughs> it's just a few chapters later, but it's a very different tone. Yeah, yeah. Our 
You're, you know, if uh, if you don't have Epiphany Day service, and, and we don't as a congregation, there are always some decisions that you have to make. And so we went with the decision of going with uh, Second Sunday of Christmas with uh, Jesus in the temple. And I think uh, that, yes. that also has something to say here because um, God's Word, right? Uh, the Word of the Lord is to, to be sought. And in here... Um, why these chapters then are so fitting for for us in the season of Epiphany, this revelation of who Jesus is, is not to then um, hearing the great uh, revelation, hearing that that the Magi's have come, the the wise men came and, and they saw him, that the revelation went out to us. Many of us are, are Gentiles, um, the nations, that the the good news is for us as well. That it that it's not then uh, wise or fitting. <laughs> to then reject him, um, to to um, or to as a Christian uh, apostate to walk away from the faith, uh, but to right. remain even in the midst of what we cannot see, but to believe in it with all of our heart, um, that that the promises of God are sure. And then there, then within these last two chapters, there's this great connection to Revelation, the great connection yeah. to the new heavens and the new earth. Which is which are now ours by faith, but it is to be revealed, and and so um, to the servants of the Lord who follow the great servant of the Lord Christ, um, there is great message of hope for us. Yeah, that's that's well said. Yeah, there's there's some strong thematic connections there. I think dealing with apostasy, faithlessness, like you were saying, and then also new creation. Um, I mean, that's I think the. The, the big idea that in the new creation there there is no more apostasy there is no more faithlessness god's finally sorted all these things out so let's we have this is a really good chapter here i mean i'm excited like i said for tomorrow when when you get to the actual final chapter but this is what sets it up so let's let's get into this here in isaiah chapter 65 as we do so would you open us up with a prayer all of us who are listening today as we read along yeah, let's pray and let's uh, add a prayer for, for peace in, in our world in this uh, troubling Amen. times. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, our gracious Lord, we pray uh, that you would bring peace to us in the midst of all of our sins and in the midst of our own personal lives in which um, anger and frustrations arise, bring peace to us individually. But today we pray for peace in our world. Um, that a sense of uh, tranquility and peace may arise, uh, that violence and hatred and the sense of war would be appeased by you, uh, for you are a God of peace and you have brought peace to us in the very person of your Son. We pray uh, that you would protect uh, our nation, uh, those who serve us within our nation, our armed forces here in our country and scattered throughout the world, we thank you, O Lord, for the protection that you have provided to them. And we ask you, O Lord, to continue to provide for them in all of their needs, especially their needs of hearing about your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Let's start by reading the first seven verses here. That's like kind of the first paragraph here as it's marked out in the ESV. And I think that that makes sense. God's response here. We we have all of the questions in chapters 63 and 64, uh, the, the questions and requests, you know, uh, will you restrain yourself? Will you keep silent? And here's God speaking through Isaiah, his answer. He's heard the prayer, and this is what he has to say, verses 1 through 7. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. 
I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks, who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat pig's flesh and broth of tainted meat is in their vessels, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. These are a smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will indeed repay into their lap both your iniquities and your father's iniquities together, says the Lord, because they made offerings on the mountains and insulted me on the hills. I will measure into their lap payment for their former deeds. Yes, so stern words of law here, uh, repayment. It is, uh, it's a very interesting term that's used here. Uh, a lot of connections, though, to, I mean, the previous chapter, the previous uh, section, but just all over the book, I think, here. Sure, yeah, this, you know, this um, intercession uh, by, you know, well, the, the speaker, Isaiah, and... Um, uh, to the Lord, kind of like how we have with Moses interceding for the people. And so here we've got the prayer that starts um, 63 through 64. And now, as you said, God does answer. And he answers in a way that, that maybe we wouldn't have expected when the pr- people are praying uh, for mercy. Um, and they do confess. I mean, there is, seems to be a confession of sin as we look at 64. I mean, that there seems to be some uh, acknowledgement of sin there. Um, and then God's answer is judgment, but also promise. So, he d- right. so these things are, are weaved together um, where he'll go into one and then, and then respond um, in a way of hope for the other. Because even at, at the beginning, there is a, a message of, of hope. I mean, there is there is amazing grace there. Um, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. Um, that's yeah. God's, God's desire is to be known. Um, and so he's, he is calling out to his people. And there are those. There is a, and we'll see it as we go through this chapter, there is a remnant for which he keeps. Um and there are those who have heard this word, uh, a calling out to his own people um, who have rejected it. Uh, right. So, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. That, that, that's well said. That, that, I mean, it is, it is actually starting off with, with a good, I mean, with good news that like here God is, is showing up um, even though his people wasn't ready for it or even really asking for it. And, and we've been talking about that for a few chapters now that, I mean, there's, there's this, um, you know, there's this idea that, you know, if, if God were to wait until we were ready for him, that, you know, I mean, he would just never come. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so the, the plea, right, has, has been in these last two chapters, you know, God, would you just come and, and just do this now, um, even though we don't deserve it? I mean, which is extremely, an extremely bold a request, but that—that's what you know. The like you said, the intercession that Isaiah is making. Isaiah is looking around and saying, like, "We don't deserve this, and we're never going to get our act together." But God, just please come now, anyway. Basically, um, and and God, I mean, I mean, 
really very graciously, as you said, is saying, yeah, I'm just going to come and I'm going to take care of this. Um, I'm answering your prayer, even when you don't deserve it, even though you're not ready, here I come anyway. And in fact, in a way, um, he answers Isaiah in the prayer by, by revealing to him what he's already been doing right? His arms have been open to a rebellious people. Yeah. Um, so I think Isaiah, you know, he's in his prayer, you know, in our sin, we, we don't really see what God, God's action, you know, we're blinded. We have blinded ourselves to his grace and God has been gracious to us. God has desired to be sought and he has um, reached out to a people, uh, arms wide open, it says right there, to a rebellious people. Um, so he's revealing to Isaiah, Actually, I've been answering your prayers before you even prayed. Yeah, well, yeah, that's really interesting. I'm glad you brought up these verbs here, right? Because when you look carefully at these verbs, there's a lot of stuff that can seem really strange. Like, I know the first thing that jumped out at me was, I mean, in verse one, right? You know, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. And then I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me, which which I, I was like kind of immediately like, no, hang on a second. He's saying that like, he's, he's going to be, he's being sought, but he wasn't sought. Right. I mean, <laughs> right. so, I mean, sought's just the, the past tense of seek. Right. And I was sort of like, hang on, what? Um, I thought the whole idea was that there was no seeking. Um, and then like you said too, like, I mean, it's this, uh, when he says this in verse two, you know, I spread out my hands all the day. It, it is, uh, in Hebrew, it's this this tense form that kind of nat- usually, I mean, I don't know, often anyway, we'll put it that way, um, lends itself to past tense interpretation. And so it's like, I mean, so what he's been doing this all along. Um, I, I think that part of it is understanding that the Hebrew verbs are admittedly a little bit difficult to translate. Um, and that first one anyway, with with being sought, I think the Hebrew emphasis is more like on the on the finding or the discovering. So, I mean, I think, I think initially it's sort of like, you know, um, I'm ready to be like, you know, found really, or again, or discovered by those who didn't ask and found by those who didn't seek. And so I think it's consistent there, but what do you think about verse two, this, this idea of, I mean, what is it, what does it exactly mean that he's been spreading out his hands all the day? Cause this is a phrase that doesn't show up very often in Isaiah, this spreading out hands. Well, I think, um, I think with what came before and what comes after, um, with the, the reality of how God is sought and how he is revealed, I mean, this epiphany understanding and how he opens his hands to a rebellious people is in, in between there. He said, here am I, here I am, here I am, um, to a nation that's not called by my name. So it's continually the word of God that goes out and calls us to to know him um, and to seek him in that way. Um, but it's his motion first. Um, it's all, And you see that throughout scripture, right? He's the one that calls Abraham. Abraham wasn't even a it wasn't a nation, wasn't anything. He, he He's the one who is doing all of this. And he makes him into a people who eventually here is is Israel. But that, that all began by God's action. And here the spreading out of his hands all, all the day to a rebellious people, it speaks of his love, forgiveness, mercy um, to a people that are continually rebelling. And then he speaks of what rebellious activity are they participating in uh, to the point where they're seeking out um, wisdom 
uh, and an understanding from from the dead uh, right. when when he's been giving him them the truth for he is the truth. So, you know, it's it's um it, it starts at the beginning, but then the um, unfolding of their activity of what kind of rebellious activity it, it's it kind of opens up as you go into the next few verses. Yeah, I, I think so that, you know, when you look at like three and four and, and, and so on, it's describing what they've been doing all along. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot of it should sound familiar, right? Because, um, I mean, like this, some of these phrases are almost exactly the same as what we had back in chapter 57, the sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on the bricks, sitting in the tombs, right? I mean, like almost I mean, the exact same list as what we had just, uh, you know, not even 10 chapters ago, this description of, you know, what Judah was like in the wake of the Babylonian invasion. Like, you know, the Babylonians, they go and they deport all the leaders and then the people are left to themselves. And what do they do? Just all kinds of idolatry. Right. And so it's the, it's the, it's the same description, but, but I think what's also really striking is that it's also a very similar description to one other place, namely the very first chapter of Isaiah. Yes, I was going to say you, that. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, and, that, and that's really, I think, what's kind of just masterful about, about this chapter is that you, you go back all the way to Isaiah chapter 1, and it, it's like we're kind of in the very back uh, starting place of where we were back in verse 29, like, they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired. You shall blush for the gardens that you've chosen, right? And, and the rest of it, like, it's like, hang on a second, uh, 64 chapters later, <laughs> we're in exactly the same mess that we've been in this whole time. Yeah, but then, you know, as we get further on, we're going to see how, um, how was it, seven, verse 17 and following. Now now there is an answer uh, to the, the what the people have done. What we have done to God's creation, God is going to act. And he, his promise is, is something we can cling to even today in the midst of, of the ongoing struggle within this fallen world. But we can claim to it as, as Luther would talk about, this is ours even now. You know, it's, it's ours. It will be revealed on the end um, what has already been true today. So there is a, um, a, uh, a, an, an end times reality that answers chapter one's problems. And, and even, like you said, even as a continual problem today of, you know, chapter 60, 65. Um, but, and we could say it's a continual problem, you know, what we struggle with, uh, with wars and rumors of wars and, and all the rest today. But, um, you know, his promise is, is even greater than the struggle. So, uh, right. yeah, there is an answer. Yeah, no, that, that, that's right. And, you know, I, I like what you're saying about like the, the pattern, because I mean, it's so, you know, re- remembering Isaiah chapter one, that was dealing with the land of Judah again, but not in the wake of the Babylonian invasion, but the Assyrian invasion, right. And everything had been burned over and the cities destroyed and all the rest. And, and really what's going on here poetically is we're making this comparison between Judah as, as much as it's been reduced to a wasteland by the Babylonians. And then, you know, over a hundred years earlier, the same situation that was wrought by the Assyrians and the, the, the upshot of making the comparison, you know, Assyrian destruction in verse one, verse or chapter one versus the Babylonian destruction we're looking at in chapter 65 is that, well, God got us out of that mess before. You know, after chapter one, there was a chapter two 
where it said, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and lifted up above the hills and all the rest, right? So if there was if there was a new day that followed that long night, you know, if there was a light at the end of that long, dark tunnel, well, there's a light at the end of this one too. And um, I mean, and it's very... It's very interesting, the the spread out uh, hands language. I mean, like one of the few times that occurred was back in chapter one, uh, where where God is saying, yeah, your hands are spread out praying to me, but they're full of blood. Um, and here, right, is then our God speaking to us like, here, look, it, it's really, it is really bad. It's the same problem you keep getting yourselves into, but my hands are still open, this time not in a gesture of prayer, like in chapter one, but in a gesture of invitation and acceptance, this is like the the father who welcomes home the prodigal son, right? Like he's still willing again to accept um, and to welcome and, and to and to bless, you know, even though we've done this um, multiple times. It reminds me of, uh, I mean, isn't it an amazing grace? Like where one of the verses, like um, there's like a line that's like, there won't be any question about how many times we've come before. Uh, the, the actual words are escaping me from that, from that verse. But I mean, there it is. Like it's, we should be comforted by the pattern because God never gets tired of taking care of us. Yeah. Yeah. His, um, you know, when we, uh, when our people are listening and they're, when they're struggling, wondering if this is, <laughs> if, if they've got, uh, you know, um, uh, if they've done the straw that has, uh, now led God to, uh, never want to be around exactly. them. I mean, that's how right. we treat each other, right? Uh, right? You know, this is the final straw. I don't ever want to talk to you again. God's never like that <laughs> with us. There, You know, with us, he always is calling us continually, perpetually to repent, calling us continually, perpetually to see what he has done to redeem and to... Um, to reconcile, you know, those open arms are, are, are reconciling arms, arms that have been reconciled in Christ. Um, so yeah, it's, um, there is great warning in it never to, uh, never to fall to the lies of the devil that, that, uh, would tell us that God is done with you, right? That God right. has abandoned you or forgotten you or doesn't want you. Um, and, and here, here his truth is no, he, he speaks and yes, um, a word that calls us into repentance, and but it's also a word that calls us into a great faith as we as we see what he is about to uh, ab- about to remember for his people. Right, right. And, and let's go ahead and read then. What what does God remember here, and, and what is the the open arms um, invitation of acceptance? Uh, we only have like a minute before our break here, but I'll just read the next little section here, and we'll have a chance to discuss when we get back. So, picking it up here in verse eight. Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and they say, do not destroy it, for there is a blessing in it. So I will do for my servants' sake, and not destroy them all. I will bring forth offspring from Jacob, and from Judah possessors of my mountains. My chosen shall possess it, and my servants shall dwell there. Sharon shall become a pasture for flocks, and the valley of Achor a place for herds to lie down. For my people who have sought me. But you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who set a table for fortune and fill cups of mixed wine for destiny, I will destine you to the sword, and all of you shall bow down to the slaughter. Because when I called, you did not answer. 
When I spoke, you did not listen, but you did what was evil in my eyes and chose what I did not delight in. So, yeah, so, I mean, there's, there, as you were saying, it's woven together here, but there's two different responses, right, mm -hmm. to kind of two different groups. There's a distinction being made. We, we got to talk about this distinction when we get back, but everybody hang with us. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 65 here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. Pastor Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance. Jesus said, if anyone enters by me, he shall be saved. You can help us continue to get that message out around the globe while there's still time. One way is to become a church or organization of the week. For a gift of just $595, your church will receive 35 30-second announcements during the week of your choice, identifying your church as well as upcoming events and happenings. And your pastor or a representative from your church, they may record those announcements or we can produce them ourselves either way. In addition, your pastor or representative will have the opportunity to be on one of KFUO's programs. It's a wonderful way to expand your mission outreach and to help KFUO Radio to do the same. For further information, call me, Mark, at 314-996-1520 or mark.hawkinson at kfuo.org. Words create a picture of life, life as it really is, life as it could be. And so if you want God to be your treasure, you need a vision of life with God. I want a vision for life with God because I want God to be my treasure, even as I know that in Jesus, I am his. Dr. Michael Ziegler, this week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230 and 5 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Oratio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 65 here. We're joined today by Pastor John Schenk of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Uh, if you've got any questions for us as we go over this second-to-last chapter in the whole book of Isaiah, I'm looking forward to uh, starting up. We're actually going to take a, a little peek at a couple of New Testament books after this. Um, kind of feels weird, actually, to call them books. They're very short letters, right? Um, uh, Second John and Third John, going back to some of those letters by John, uh, going back to the, the section of the New Testament we were dealing with uh, several months ago, uh, and then going on to Joshua. So some great stuff to look forward to. But for today, if you've got any last questions on Isaiah, right, last call today and tomorrow, uh, you can call 1-800-730-2727. 
Or if you're in St. Louis, you can call 314-821-0850. Or as always, you can send an email to KFUO at KFUO.org. And uh, speaking of .orgs, another good .org to check out is the Lutheran Heritage Foundation's website. There are underwriters that do amazing work, lhfmissions.org. So we just read, I think we, yeah, we got through verse 12 here. And yeah, the section here in 8 through 12, it's interesting because it becomes it becomes apparent like uh, pretty quickly He's talking to two different groups of people. I mean, he's talking about Judah. He's talking about, you know, Israelites, you might say. But he's making a distinction now between uh, the people who are in the land of Judah. Yeah, we've got um, what you could say are apostates, unbelievers, uh, those who have who have um, been hearing this call that the prophet uh, has brought from the Lord um, and have rejected it and have heard that the continual call of God um, by his word to uh, remain faithful, to trust in him, and they have sought other things, right? Then this kind of comes up again and again um, throughout this this section. And then believers or um, uh, my servants, and these are servants under the the one servant. I mean, there's this definitely, um, there's Christological images um, throughout um, obviously throughout Isaiah that you've been talking about, um, but here as well um, that uh, for my servant's sake. Um, so the for the faithful remnant, um, for the ones um, he will not. So if you go back to verse 8, he will not destroy the whole uh, cluster or the, all of the new wine. Um, he will... Um, he will not destroy them all, as it says at the end. So there is going to be offspring for Jacob. Um, and uh, right. so this is a, a great promise in a, in a foreshadowing of what comes um, eschatolog- eschatologically, end times way, at the yeah. end of the... Um, at the end of our chapter, um, but uh, there's a, a promise of what will be for them, what, what's going to be right. for his servant, and then what's going to be, what's the word of judgment for those who have uh, forsaken his word. Um, as I said, you know, as we've been talking about, it kind of weaves its way through. He talks to one, mm-hmm. he talks to them both at once, yeah. but as you said, and rightfully so, th- this word cuts differently. Um, for for the one, there's a blessing um, for those who um, have have remained faithful and the ones who have heard the word and and trust in the Lord. That's what it means to remain faithful. It's not it's not that they're without sin. That that's not it at all. Um, but they're trusting that the Lord is going to be the answer for their need, right? And these others right. are seeking out something else besides the Lord. And as they do, um, there is an answer for for them, right? Uh, verse twelve. I will destine you uh, to the sword, uh, and all of you shall bow down to the slaughter. And that that connects us to what what came up before. I mean, there was bowing down on on the hills. Um, yes. There was uh, the seeking out after um, dead things, right? Yep. False words. Now, if you bow down to that, thinking that you are going to get an an a good answer or a good blessing, what? That what comes to you is only death. It's you know there's a a, a judgment um, that will come to them. Yeah, that that's well said. That that really, I mean, when you look at verse twelve, I mean, it's like, I, I mean, the reversal, right? Um, it's also with the thing about destiny, right? There's a there's a neat little yeah. twist there, right? They've been mixing cups 
for of wine for destiny well if you want destiny then here's your destiny it's the sword right there's a little bit of a reversal there and and so it's like the same thing uh, like you were just saying you know you want to bow down to these foreign gods well look up look at what you're bowing down to it's the slaughter you've been worshiping death right is actually what's going on i mean and, and this is very uh this is very profound like you were saying it, it takes on a very um, eschatological and um in, in that sense of uh you know eschatology like you would you even say like dualistic uh kind of bent where you know like uh, i'm reminded you know all the all the descriptions like uh and the big one, I think, is one of the early Christian documents of teaching, you know, and, and they say there's there's really two ways. There's the way of life and there's the way of death. Right. Those are the only two religions that there really are in the world. And so it's like you guys have been worshiping death um, and, and look what it's going to be. It's, it's going to be just that if that's what you really insist on worshiping. And then we get to see, too, you know, like you said, you know, it's really good to point out um, this reversal, because this reversal of destinies, fortunes, uh, for those who um, were living in a way that was contrary to God's word and maybe prospering in this life in that way, right? Um, They were uh, seeking the things of this world. And so there's a reversal that brings only death to that, that only ends in death. Well, for those who had been sitting and mourning, Right, uh, maybe they're sackcloth, and you can think think about sackcloth and ashes. Ashes reminds us of our sin and and death. Right, what we have done to this world. So they look out into the world and see, well, our sin has brought this desolation. We are the at fault. We can't blame God uh, for our sins. Well, what happens to them? Well, this great reversal of fortunes too. Um, there's abundance. There's blessing. There's, uh, you know, they're gonna possess the holy mountains. They're they're going to be, um, they're gonna be lifted up. Right. Well, and, and it's very interesting too. And, and you you made a good job of, of making this point that it's not as if these they're, they're these faithful ones and it's like well now you guys though you deserve something better right like right. i've seen you you've been working really hard and you've been doing good the whole time you didn't ever go along with any of that idolatry stuff so you guys you get a reward right it's not as if this is this is like what they have been doing all along or that they really deserve this i mean and that's not the tone that isaiah even took right i mean like he, he did not notice right like when isaiah was praying um you know, in 63 and 64, he didn't say, you know, Lord, well, well, me and the other, you know, really good guys, we haven't been doing these bad things. You know, thank God that, you know, we uh, are not like, you know, this, uh, you know, this, this bad sinner over here, right? It's not, it's not like the Pharisees prayer that, that Jesus is, is pointing out the hypocrisy of, uh, no, I mean, it, it's humble because he's saying, no, we're, we're all a mess, all of us. And, and that's what, and I think that's why we we can't gloss over this here. In verse nine, it says, "I will bring forth offspring from Jacob." I mean, even the faithful ones are the recipients of grace. They're the ones who are created by God. Um, I mean, this reminds me of you know John the Baptist's reply that you know God could raise up um, from these stones children for Abraham, right? And so, in the same way, it's God who's raising up and bringing forth offspring. So yeah, there's a distinction being made here, but it's not as if 
um, if you're on the right side of this distinction, you can get a big head or, you know, yeah. credit it all to your like, well, yeah, it's because, you know, during the hard times, I was faithful the whole while. Yeah. In verse eight and nine of 64, uh, the prayer to the Lord is, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are our potter. Right, we are right. all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look. We are all your people. So they're confess. I mean, he's confessing. Don't don't look at our iniquity. Forgive us, and and now creating us new heart. I mean, like you can you can make all different connections to the fact that we are are the clay, and he's the worker. Um, if it was up to us, we would just be worthless clay. Right. Have no right. value. There's no value in the clay. It's the worker. It's the yes. potter who does something with, um, with the the clay and makes something of it. And so that's such an honest prayer. And and I think you know what you were talking about gets to the heart of maybe false accusations, and we, and we can just label them as false. It's not true. It's not true about Christianity, but it's the false accusation that Christians, that the church is just a bunch of hypocrites. They think they're so righteous, but I know them. I, I know they're sinners. Well, no, you you don't really know the church. The church comes, we confess every every time we get together that right. we are sinners, that it's only by God's grace that we can stand. It's only by his lifting up of our heads that we can um that we can see what is true. Uh so yeah, this is uh it would it'd be wrong of us not to point that out that the ones who have this great reversal, it's a reversal only by his grace. We're all rebellious people and it's right. only by his grace that we are reconciled to him. Right. Well, I mean and then a very complimentary to the point you're just making. I mean back in verse 5, right? It says there, you know, keep to yourself, do not come near me for I'm too holy for you. Right. Yeah. Um, who, who's the Who's the one saying that? Is it the faithful Israelites? No. It's the ones who are bowing down to the idols right. who say, "I am too holy for you." Right? right. I mean, and that's really something that I think uh, that that fits our situation. I think pretty well because I think in our in our culture, in our broader society, we've got a lot of people worshiping death in various ways, and as they do worship death, they look around and they say, "You know what?" You know, if you if you aren't, you know, with me and doing like doing things as I am, then you're not on the right side of history. You know, then you are, you know, the you know, the undesirables, the untouchables. You know, I we're we're too holy for you. We need to, you know, shame you and I don't know, blackball you on Twitter and Facebook or something like that. But like, yeah, you definitely have that that mentality, but it's not, it's, it should never be the mentality of the church. That that's the mentality of the religion of death. The religion of life, as you were saying is it's humble. Um, it's, it's the recipient of grace. It knows that, you know, he, he's the potter where the clay and, and even there in verse nine, or it, it, this is so striking. It says that my chosen shall possess it referring to the mountains, right? This is one of the few places in the old Testament. It, it's really weird. Usually when you talk about my chosen, it refers to the whole people of Israel. Right. But this is like one of the few cases where it seems to be talking about actually the few within Israel who are being contrasted with those who are faithless. Right. And like, and that's, that's not a distinction that gets made all the time. It doesn't just get thrown around all the time. So, right. um, you know, you, you, you see that and you're like, oh, look at that. We're, we're the chosen few. Right. Many were called, few were chosen, as the Lord said. But it's just like you were saying. Yeah. But if you're in the chosen few, um, it, it's because 
you're just the recipient of grace. It's not because you looked around and said, I'm too holy for you guys. Right, right. And 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 then outwardly too, the, to the rest of the world. I mean, they, there's this inward um, uh, false righteousness that they have amongst themselves within this community and this whole community is being spoken to and saying, no, these are, this is Israel. Israel is Israel by faith. And, uh, and that's what they're being called back to. And we get more of it here. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's pick it up here. Uh, verse, verse 13 here. So just continuing, uh, on what we left off with in verse 12, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be put to shame. Behold, my servants shall sing for gladness of heart, but you shall cry out for pain of heart and shall wail for breaking of spirit. You shall leave your name to my chosen for a curse, and the Lord God will put you to death. But his servants he will call by another name, so that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth. And he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. So that distinction we were talking about, you know, between the the chosen and then the rest of them. I mean, it's, it's, oh, wow. This is, this is probably just the most emphatic place in all the old Testament where you get this distinction. I mean, this, this, this is reminiscent of, uh, uh, I mean, of our Lord when he does like the the Beatitudes and then contrasts them yeah. with the woes, right? Like in, in Luke where, where he does that, right? I mean, uh, it, there's not many places. I mean, really, it kind of sounds uh, almost more like the, the, the Psalms or like the Proverbs, right? But it's like this like very emphatic language here where you actually have the pronoun in Hebrew where you don't, you almost never have it, it seems like. But it's like very emphatically over and over again. My servants, you know, will eat and drink and rejoice, but you shall be hungry and be thirsty and shall be put to shame. Yeah, the other thing I, you know, I was thinking about the the Beatitudes, and the other thing I was thinking about because of our discussion about how you brought out the reversal, the the uh, the Magnificat, right? You know, yeah. sends away, you know, but he's shown favor <laughs> to his chosen, and um, so. Yeah, it definitely has all these greater themes of the holistic um, way God has been dealing with his people from the beginning, right? From the beginning, God's been showing mercy. From the beginning, he's been the one who is, who's taken on our need upon himself. And, and then that, you know, the servant of the Lord and the chosen understanding, uh, taking that down as Christ will, he'll take all of this, that's for the people of Israel and and make it um, his burden to bear. And then he's the one who then brings this out outflow of blessing that will feed his people, that will give, uh, you know, the water to the thirsty. Um, so um, it's, uh, it's wonderful when we can see it that way, too. How does God answer all this? Well, he does it through his son, his chosen, um, and uh, it's quite magnificent. Right. Yeah, that's true. Because because here it's you know my servants, my servants right. plural, right? Right. But eventually it's going to get to the point where it is just his servant, and then everyone else, right? Um, and, and then of course it is it is uh, us too, right? Plural, like by extension in baptism, but only because it's it's through him. Um, it's only because he is ultimately the singular 
chosen one. Uh, but but here, right here, here you have, um, you know, it, it's not the the distinction hasn't been that sharply made yet, but you kind of see it coming in the distance here. Um, but yeah, th- this is very strong distinction um, between those who have forgotten God, who have been faithless and those who who are faithful uh, by grace. And and that really is, I mean, faithfulness, right? You, you mentioned, uh, I mean, the apostasy, right? The, I mean, this theme of faithlessness versus faithfulness. Again and again here, even even in verse sixteen there, where it says, you know, um, the, the God of truth and swearing by the God of truth. Like, what's the significance there? Right? And it's, you know, again and again, and, and it's it's kind of hard to appreciate this, but I, I don't know. Truth is kind of a, I mean, it, it kind of works uh, as a translation, but the Hebrew sense is not like propositional truth. Like, you know, what is truth? Like in a scientific sense, so we're going to find it out, right? I mean that that word there, like um, um, you know, amen. This is like you know, uh, trustworthiness. You know, I mean, it, this is this is about you know who reveals themselves to be faithful by their actions, faithful and trustworthy, right? And who reveals themselves to be be faithless? And so it's only by the grace of the the faithful God that there are any faithful. Yeah, and you know that's built up from you know. S- have this whole like name reversal of the yeah. verse before, right? Uh, sh- you know, you shall leave your name uh, to the chosen for a curse, and the Lord will put you to death, but his servant shall be called by another name. And then that name comes to to, to be by what you're talking about, about the, the God of, of truth or truthfulness or faithfulness, um, the yeah. one that you can put your trust in. Um, there's definitely a lot, a lot there, right? A lot, a lot more there that can be explored um, uh, through connections to to the rest of of Scripture. That yeah. that Jesus is the one um, who bears the name, and then when we want to have a name for our, you know, think about all the times in Scripture they wanted a name for themselves. Well, that was not a faithful thing. <laughs> that was right, bad. Right, right. That was bad. And when God gives of His name, and when He places His name on us, that that is a blessing. Um, so there's uh, there's a lot there in these last just a uh, couple verses before the yeah. transition. Yeah, yeah, no, and we and we do need to move on and get the last section here. But yeah, you know, it is, and you're talking about like you know the words of Jesus. I mean, it, it's so interesting how. I mean, so the actual Hebrew word here, right? Like, we're for, for God of truth. This isn't even like, because, um, you know, like there's, there's, um, amet, like, you know, which is kind of this word for like faithfulness, right? Um, tr- trustworthiness, truthfulness, right? But, but this is actually even slightly different. This, this is amen. Like, yeah, that's right. Amen. <laughs> that's right. actually the word that's being used. It's the God of amen. Um, and he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of amen, right? And, you know, well, how does Jesus talk according to the Gospel of John, right? Amen, amen, I say to you, right? I mean, just wow, like what a what a connection there. And you, you could go on, like you were saying, it's all connections all over. But let, let, let's read this last section here, picking it up at verse 17. I'll just take it to the end. Um more more connections being made, certainly, but um we'll we'll have a chance to to make a few of them explicit anyway, starting at verse 17 then. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be a gladness. 
I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. So many connections. Uh, just whichever ones you want, you can go sure. ahead and pick with those, right? But like it's just yeah. all this stuff from all over the book of Isaiah is just being all drawn together. Stuff from back from chapter 11, stuff from chapter 49. It's 25. Just, yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Holy Mountain and the feasting on that mountain and death being no more. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And that that's always connected to um, the end, to, to Revelation. Uh, so you definitely have strong connections to Revelation 21 and 22. So, in, But in ways in which it might sound maybe initially confusing because it talks about um, people living a really long time, but even t- oh, you sure. know, it's, it talks about death. But I think we have to understand it in a way that that um, that uh, Isaiah is, is describing the the indescribable, you know. So right. he employs figures of speech that we all can understand in a way to to um, to make it clear. So, like um, here, uh, verse twenty again: um, No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For a young man shall die a hundred years old, and a, and the sinner a hundred years shall uh, shall. A uh, hundred years old shall be a curse. So you could read that and be like, "Well, so there's going to be death in 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 the new new creation." Well, no, that's that's not what he's saying. And in fact, he's he's um, using an, an analogy to point out there shall be no more death. Um, that 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 the things that afflict us, as you know, seeing the you know the horrible realities of of infants who only who only live a few days. That's not going to be for us anymore right. nor shall there be right. a time where it's just a, a you know an, an, a man a young man um living uh just a few years or whatever um but we shall fill out all the years for there will be, you know years are, is it's kind of a hard that's a that's a uh, an it, earthly yeah. timeline thing um but right. in eternity these things won't won't afflict us so a luther does a you know when he's talking about this section he's he's saying this this is not just talking about us the spiritual heaven this is talking about recreation where god comes and he recreates um, and redeems the earth and transforms it in a way in which he's repopulating the earth with his redeemed um that's this is resurrection language so um there could be some confusion about what is going on here with maybe people dying no people aren't going to die but he's using a way in which shows us that the things that we look at and say this isn't right um that's yeah yeah that's not gonna be anymore we have something great to look forward to so verse 20 can be a bit confusing a little bit 
Yeah, yeah, and I appreciate you you pointing it out. I mean, we and I think it's helpful too to st- take a step back and remember that. I mean, in and we we've seen this before that in in the first sense when he says I create new heavens and a new earth, in the first sense he's talking about the new world um, that that seemed to come about with the restoration of Judah. We're talking about the return from exile, which was you know according to the language of Ezekiel that was like a resurrection right for the people of Israel the valley of the dry bones right so that that image of the return from exile and the rebuilding of the temple and and all the rest right this is what we've been talking about in the local sense the solution to the babylonian captivity that is like a new heavens and a new earth right and so uh, the point here is that like in this in this new era this new world of peace right um the young men aren't just going to be going off to battle and dying Right. Instead, they're going to live out their days. Right. And of course, this is this is like an exaggerated. I mean, in, in that sense, it's an exaggeration. Right. Because uh, I mean, th- this is uh, th- I, I like this. Um, you know, these days people talk about this sometimes when somebody dies, like if someone dies when they're like, say, like 60. I think I had a professor tell me once he was kind of a, like aghast. But like, you know, he said he went to a funeral and he, like uh, the guy was like 60 and they said, oh, he, he was young. And he and he and he looked at the class and he looked at me and he was like. What are they talking about? He was 60. He's that's not young. <laughs> um, and, he, and I guess the, the point that he was just making is like, wow, I mean, like, how blessed are we that we think that when someone dies at the age of 60, like that that's young, right? That we ha- are blessed with so much health and and, and wealth and uh med- medicinal advances, right? That we think everybody shall be living till you know they're like 70 or 80, you know. But so like, here's the point, right? That like basically it's going to be so good that when someone dies, when they're a hundred, they'll be like, Oh, he was young. Right. Like, 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 you know, that's just like an exaggerated way of saying that's just how good things are going to be in Judah. Um, you know, and of course, like, like you were saying, they don't actually get that good. They won't be that good until the new creation, but in the new creation, they will be even better because you just won't even die at all. Right. Which shows um, it by the end, you know I mean? The, The language at the end tips its hand to show us we're looking forward to something even greater than we expected. Right. Yeah. Going back to the, the lion and the lamb, the wolf and the lamb grazing together, new creation stuff. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, brother. Always a pleasure having you. Uh, blessings on this epiphany season. Come back soon. Amen. Thank you, everybody. That was Pastor John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Thanks for tuning in today. On to the last chapter. Until next time, everybody, peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.